going to stay in 1 Peter. If you have a copy of God's Word, I just want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. I shared 1 Peter 4 with you last week, and, and I wanted to, to, to stay in this passage of this chapter because I believe God has a, a very, hopefully, an encouraging yet challenging message for the church this morning as we continue to emphasize a season of prayer. One of these days, God's going to teach us how to pray, and that may be by necessity. Uh, I, I hope that it's. I hope that this season has encouraged you and, and grown you in, individually uh, in your own prayer lives. And um, you know, one, prayer is one of the things that when we get to heaven, we will never regret the amount of time that we've spent what praying. There'll never be a regret about, oh Lord, I wish I hadn't prayed that much. And so. Sometimes the Lord has to get our attention through external circumstances, or sometimes it's through deep tragedy. Uh, as we talked a lot last week about judgment begins with what? With the household of God. And, and we looked last week about what judgment of the household of God really looks like, and sometimes it, it doesn't look like what we think it's going to look like. And, and I, I talked to you a little bit last week about how, yes, that, that means that God's people must examine their own hearts, and God's people must make sure that we are, are walking in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and that we're not living hypocritically in, 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 in that we're accusing other people of doing the very same things that we're doing or whatever it may be. So, yes, that is part of what it means that judgment begins here with the household of God, knowing that God will judge the earth. He will judge the living and the dead on that day when Jesus returns, but judgment begins with us. And I shared with you a little bit last week about how that is and what that looks like. And guys, what the scriptures tell us is that our judgment truly begins with persecution, with suffering. That we live in a world that is not our home. We're, 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 we're journeying through this life, but we're not to be dwellers of the earth in the sense that we're attached to the things of this world, but we live, we're like foreigners in a distant land and we're, we're trying to make it home and we're walking with the Lord in faith and yet this world is not our home and because it's not our home, this, this world and the kingdoms of this world are right now temporarily under the control of the evil one. We know him to be Satan, the devil, the, the, the great ancient serpent who is of old, guys. He is the one that is, that is managing and operating and influencing the world's systems. And we're right here in the middle of it. And because we are foreigners in a, in a land that is not our own, this should be uncomfortable for us. And because it is uncomfortable for us, many times being obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ and his calling and mission leads us into a counter uh, opposition to the rest of the world. And therefore, we're going to be persecuted and mocked and laughed at and ostracized and ridiculed. And, and sometimes we're going to endure tremendous amounts of suffering, which is the, the normal testimony for our brothers and sisters all over the what? All over the world, lest we forget we're living still, enjoying the fruit of the religious liberty that we have been able to enjoy here in the United States of America. But our strength as being a free country for religious liberty has also become our weakness because it has grown a spirit of complacency in the life of God's people here in our nation. And last week I shared with you about how judgment begins with the church and how the church is plagued by apostasy, unbelief, 
Many people in the church are Christians in name only. The Bible is clear that in the last days, many will fall away. Many will depart from the faith. Paul actually calls it the great apostasy, the rebellion in 2 Corinthians. And what that means is that as as we draw nearer and nearer to the day of the Lord and the return of Jesus Christ, and it's going to become more and more difficult, and it's going to be more, there's going to be more deception than ever before, deceptive teachings. And, and when these difficulties and this deception comes, they are going to begin to reveal those who are not in a true relationship with Jesus Christ and reveal those who are in a true relationship with Jesus Christ because when push comes to shove, and if you're not truly in a relationship with Jesus Christ, when difficulties come or when false teaching takes your heart captive, you're going to walk away from the faith. And that's where we are right now in, in our world. And so this spirit of unbelief pervades the church. Now, to be clear, what is the only condition for salvation? The only condition for salvation is faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, to believe the good news of the gospel, his death, burial, and his uh, resurrection. And so genuine faith and genuine salvation will produce a transformed life. Let me ask you these questions. And as 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 I list these characteristics of a true believer, somebody who is in a relationship with Jesus Christ, let me ask you this question. Does this, does this characterize you? A transformed heart. Has your life been changed? Do you have different desires and pursuits than you used to have? Do you find yourself walking in victory over sin as opposed to being completely in bondage to sin? Do you have a great love, a deeper love for God and for his word? Do you, do you desire to share the love of Jesus with other people? Do you desire to share the good news of the gospel with other people? Do you desire to serve with other believers in the context of the local church? These are, these are evidences of, of someone who is in a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as I begin to think about last week's message and what God is calling us to be now, especially in the season that we're in, I began looking at First Peter. And so last week I looked at First Peter 12 through the end of the chapter, but I want to back up to First Peter 7 this morning, which is just, it just precedes the passage that we looked at last week. So if you, if you have your Bible and open to First Peter, look at verse 7, and I'm just going to read a few short verses here as we think about what God is calling you and me to do and who to be in these last days. First Peter 7. The end of all things is at hand. Just, let's just stop right there for a minute. I want to read that one more time. You ready? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded, for the sake of your what? Prayers. Verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. 
show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. The end of all things is at hand. We were in our journey class uh, just before service, and we were looking at 2 Peter chapter 3. I, I'm not going to take the time to go there right now, but as we've been, we went through the book of Genesis together as a church, and 2 Peter 3 is drawing on some, some contrast and comparative language about the same generation that laughed and mocked at Noah as he built the ark and prepared the ark leading up to the day of the flood. He compares that to our generation today. He says, in the last days, there will be scoffers and mockers who says, where is the promise of his coming? Right, church? I mean, hasn't the church been talking about Jesus is returning for the last 2,000 years? Don't you think the world gets disillusioned with that message? You know, where, where is this promise? Y'all been, been saying Jesus is coming back for 2,000 years. Where is he? In other words, insinuating that he's what? Maybe he ain't coming. Maybe all this nonsense that you guys claim to be true is a bunch of folly and foolishness and religious myth and man-made legend. Because ever since the creation of the world and everything has gone on as it always has and nothing's really changed. And what Peter tells us, he says, the reason that they are so foolish in that assessment is because they deliberately overlook two very important things. Number one, creation. They deny the creator. They deny the evidence and beauty of design and complexity in the creation itself and therefore deny the creator. And number two, they deny the flood. They deny all of the evidence of the flood and they deny, just like the generation of Noah, denied what he was trying to proclaim to them, that there is salvation, but there's only one way of salvation. And if you want to survive what's coming upon the earth, you better get on the what? You better get on the boat. You better get on the ark. One door, one way. And, he, and Peter is, is contrasting Noah's generation with our generation today. And, and so therefore, here we are. And Peter, who wrote this nearly 2,000 years ago, said with confidence in his generation, he said, the end of all things is near. Well, well Peter, were you mistaken then? It's been 2,000 years ago. I thought you said it was close. I thought you said it was at hand. I thought you said it was surely coming right now. You see, we... We measure time differently than his, than God does. Because in that very same chapter, Peter says, hey guys, I want you to remember now that a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. A thousand years to him is like a day. Yet on our timetable, 2,000 years has passed by and Peter said the, end of the, the, the time of the end is at hand. But guess what? From God's timetable, just a couple days. From his perspective, it is very much at hand. Because God is outside of time. God is not operating in our chronological.
chronological time, as it were. And so, therefore, the end is most definitely closer now than ever before, and we understand that. And so Peter wasn't off at all. And so here we are now, 2,000 years later, and the thing that Peter says that blows me away, and again, we haven't even really looked at this passage yet, but the thing that Peter says in 2 Peter, he says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. We count slowness again, but he is patient with you, not wishing that any should what? Perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. And see, the Lord doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. The Lord does not get excited about punishing the ungodly. That's not something that he really takes pleasure in. And the only reason that he has delayed up until this point right now is because he is still trying to remain patient and give everyone as many opportunities as they possibly can to repent, to turn from their wicked ways and from their own sins and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ before he comes. And so in that regard, we can say confidently that the end of all things is at hand. But I want to I share it with you from a little bit of a different perspective. In another sense, both as individuals and I want to say it too from, from a local church perspective. Do you know churches are born and they also what? Do you know churches die? Do you know churches are closing their doors every day? All over this country, churches shutting it down. Dying out. It's a sad thing. Do you know that as an individual, the Bible says that every man is appointed once for every man to what? To die. And then comes the judgment. So in one regard, from a very personal, practical application, the end of all things is most definitely at hand. It is very imminent. It is very near. Why? Because every day could be our what? Last day. Death is imminent. None of us know exactly when that day will be. And so we should live our lives accordingly. Yes, he is talking about the day of the Lord. He is talking about the return of Jesus that we will get into in much greater detail, hopefully after the beginning of the year. But what we're talking about as well right now, guys, is that we should live our lives every day in light of the reality that death is certain. And, and, and we never know when that is our last day. And so that leads me really to a very important question and as we look at this passage together, as we, as we get, begin to pray for our church. I'm going to ask you this question, and I just want you to answer it to yourself, answer it into a couple of questions. They kind of say the same thing, but, but, but I'm going to ask them to you anyway. What would you have Jesus find you doing when he returns? What kind of life do you want to be living when Jesus comes back? Whose business do you want to be about on that day? In what will you be most invested when the end comes? Now, the end meaning, again, when he comes, when Jesus returns physically, or the end of our what? Or the end of our life. Because either way, we meet Jesus. 
Whether we die, we die, we, we go meet Jesus. We stand, we give an account to Jesus. Whether he comes, we meet who? We meet Jesus. And the questions are very relevant to you and me today, guys, because listen to me, there are plenty of things that we can be investing in and pursuing right now in this world. Plenty. But the question is, what would you have Jesus find you doing when he comes? Turn with me real quick to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, 45. I'm just going to share a a parable that Jesus gives us about this very topic. Matthew 24, verse 45. Tell you what, back up to 44. Look at 44. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. I want you to think about that for just a second. He says be ready because he's coming in an hour that many people will not expect. In other words, he's saying we can be what? Do you hear the language right there? He's saying many people are going to be surprised. He's going to come when they're not ready, when they're not looking for him, when they're off pursuing things that they should not be pursuing. But he's saying you must be what? We've got to be ready. We should be sober and paying attention. We're going to get into that in just a second. But he says this, be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now he tells the parable. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household? To give them their food at the proper time. Listen to this. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed. There it is, right? Where is the promise of his coming? You've been saying that for 2,000 years. He must be delayed. He must, have, he, must have, he must have gotten lost or something. You know, he's, he's not coming. If that wicked servant says, my master is delayed, hmm, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, and the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Everyone in here today is pursuing one of two things. Don't they say there's, there's two kind of people in the world, right? Those who put ketchup on their eggs and those who don't or something. I don't know. Who puts ketchup on their eggs, right? That's man, that's yeah. See, we've got a few people that put ketchup. Uh-huh, a few people in the back. Now, it's kind of funny, but, but we think about it. There are truly two kind of people in the world. And so there's, there are people who are, listen, this is, this is very critical that you hear me on this, that everyone in here is doing one of two things. Either we are pursuing ourself, gratification, we're pursuing the, the, the desires of our flesh, our carnal nature, and we're pursuing the world, or we're pursuing Christ and his gospel and his kingdom. 
You can't be on two paths at the same time. You're either on one and not the other, or you're on one and not the other. But one of, one of those paths we have chosen, and depend, depending on what we're pursuing and what we're investing in and the things that we make priorities in our life, is determining the path that we have chosen. And one of us is either pursuing the things of this world and gratifying the sinful nature of our own flesh, or we're pursuing Christ and his kingdom and his glory. Which path are you on? not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. implies pursuit. Hey, what are you pursuing today? Are you investing in things that are of eternal value or are you pursuing things in the world that is only going to pass what? It's going to pass away. It's leave you empty. Therefore, flip back to 1 Peter chapter 4. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, Peter's going to give us some good instruction as we close this, this session out. And I'm going to give you some very practical things for you to hold on to before we enter into our time of prayer. So in view of the reality that, yes, Jesus, yes, I believe, and I've told you guys, I believe that we are living in the last days, the last of the last days. Yes, I believe that the, the return of Jesus Christ is is very near. I believe, yes, within our lifetime, I do believe that. Again, everybody said that from the beginning of creation. I understand that, but there are things lining up like never before that should tell us the signs that we are paying attention to. Yes, the end of all things is at hand, but even beyond that, it could be the end of our life. We don't know when our last day is, and so therefore we still, it applies to everyone in this room, right? Regardless of whether Jesus returns in your lifetime or not, still, this is true application for you and for me. So Peter's going to give us some very practical things that I want you and challenge you to make sure that you are examining your life in light of these things with, with the understanding that the end of all things is at hand. Number one, be self-controlled. On Facebook, it says. Especially on social media, be self-controlled. What does it mean to be self-controlled? It means it's one of the fruits of the what? Of the Holy Spirit. And so we're not controlled again by our sinful nature and we're not just compelled to go and feed our flesh and whatever it may be. But it's a, it's a sign of a, a, a believer who's controlled by the Holy Spirit so that we're obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his word. And so we're able to navigate the temptations of this world without just giving in every single time that a temptation comes our way or every time we have a, a sinful desire. We don't just give in ourselves to it, but no, the Spirit gives us the ability to be self-controlled. Then he says, be sober-minded. So in other words, if we've gotten 
just kind of drifted away into being distracted with all the crazy things that are going on in the world, or maybe we've gotten distracted into some type of sin or, or lifestyle of sin or whatever it may be. There are many things that can occupy our minds and, and cause us to be dissipated and confused and distracted. And so the, the, the scriptures is reminding us this morning, guys, that more than ever before, we need to wake up, be alert, be sober-minded, be prepared, be mentally tough. All of those things are relevant. He says, we do this for the sake of our prayers. And then he says, above all of this, what are we to do? Keep loving one another. Because love covers a what? I'm going to say something shocking to you. He's talking about Christians need to love other Christians. Now, does that mean we don't love the world? No, we're going to get to that here in just a second. But more than anything else, the one thing that should di distinguish a true believer from everybody else in the world is that it is our love that we have for who? For each other. That we're a family, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and it is how we love each other. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you is that you love each other, one another, just as I have what? Loved you, and by this, all the nations of the world will know that you are my what? Disciples. You're my children. You're my disciples in that how you love each other. How many people in the world have been turned off to Christ and turned off to Christianity in general simply because of the way that we behave with each other? Above all, we, we we're called to love each other. Our spiritual family that the Lord has given us. But then he says, show hospitality. You know what that means? Hospitality literally means loving strangers. So the church not only is supposed to be good at loving each other, but we're also supposed to be good at loving people who don't look like us, don't act like us, don't dress like us, don't talk like us. People that may be strangers to us, people that we may not be accustomed to being around, but the Bible says show hospitality. In other words, show love to other people who are outside of the fellowship. And so this is part of our commission, part of our responsibility, guys, until the Lord Christ comes. And then the last thing he says is this. As each has received a gift, use it to do what? To serve one another. Now, we, we've got a little bit of a, of a better crowd in here this morning, and I'm, I'm so thankful and it encourages me, and I know that we still have people watching from home, and I'm just going to say a message. I'm going to look right into the camera. If you're watching from home this morning, and there's no reason that you can't come back to this fellowship, I ask you to please come back. We need you to come back. Because I don't care who you are or where you are, but it's great that we're able to provide messages to our people on uh, social media and all those platforms and everything. That's great. But, guys, if you have gotten complacent and you've gotten uh, lazy, I don't even know how to use another word, spiritually lazy, and you're getting used to sitting at home and forsaking the assembly together with one another, it's time for you to come back. Because, listen, how can we serve one another if we're not around one another? That's the message of... Peter, right here, is that we're to use our spiritual gifts in the context of the local church to serve each other. Everybody in this room, if you're a member of this church or if you're a Christian in general, you've been given certain talents, abilities, but you've also been given spiritual gifts. 
and you use those spiritual gifts in the what? In the church. That's what the church is for, for us to have a place to express our giftedness in order to bless other people, encourage each other, but also to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Lord would have you be doing when he returns. Guys, we miss you. I pray you come back soon. Please come back. So that's what Peter is reminding us as our priority as we live in these last days. That we have love for one another. And I will say this. I want to share a testimony about Christ Church, guys. This is a loving church. We do have love for each other. We're, 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 we're doing pretty well on that part of our report card. I'm going to tell you something else about Christ Church. We're a serving church. There are so many opportunities for you to serve. We had our help group yesterday. I wanted to make mention of that because it was an awesome day. We, had, we did have a lot of people show up. We had, we're still missing a few, but you come back if you haven't been with us to our help group. It is amazing. We were able to bless over 300 or some odd families with food and encouragement in the Lord. Today, we're going to talk more about our eternal bread ministry that's continuing to hit the streets and go out and share the gospel with people who are in need. But here's another place that I want to just really challenge and encourage you guys. We need more people to commit to serving, to working with our children and our students. If, if there's a need that we have right now in the life of our church, I promise you right now we have lost more people in our children's ministry and our student ministry. And we're making do with what we have. But if you're missing out and you're not serving somewhere in the life of this church, I, pray, I ask you to at least consider and pray about how you might invest in the next generation. Do you guys realize what our children are going through right now? Do you realize how difficult it is to be a kid in 2020? Do you realize how bombarded they are getting on every single level from at school to social media to all the games to, to everything that the culture around them? They are completely overwhelmed. They are scared. Many of them are depressed. Many of them don't know where to turn. Many of them are, you know, they don't have anybody to talk to. Guys, we need to invest in our children. And if you're not, if you're here today and you have an opportunity to serve, I beg you, please come see me about it. Come see Miss Lynn about it. Come talk to Cameron about it. Don't you think the Lord would have you serving with kids and investing in the next generation when he comes? I would think so. There's so many opportunities to serve, and if you're not serving in at least one ministry in the life of this church, guys, you're selling yourself short, and you're missing that blessing. So what I want to do now is, is I just want to stop, and I just want to spend the last few minutes of this message just in prayer for, for you, for me, for our church, knowing that this is a very good a very good list of things that the Lord has given us to, to measure ourselves by as we consider what the Lord would have us be doing on the day that he comes. So let's all take a minute, let's just bow our heads and let's just pray. There are so many distractions pulling at us. 
temptation. We've grown up to believe that we're supposed to get good grades so that we can go to college and we can get a job and we can make lots of money and we can have a family and we can retire early and we can live our life in luxury. And Lord, if all of that is without Jesus Christ, it's nothing. So today, Lord, I pray that everyone here in, in the sound of my voice would ask themselves, who are they pursuing? What are they pursuing? I want to thank you for bringing me to a church that has genuine love for each other. I want to thank you for a church that serves, Lord, that is, is focused on our community and that we do want to bless those around us and we, we do want to make a difference in our community, Lord, and then, but there's always more and more opportunities, Lord, for us to serve. And so I pray that if there's anyone here in this, within the sound of my voice that's not using their gifts and their time and their treasure and their talents, Lord, for your glory and kingdom, God, I pray today would be the day they get honest with you and they're willing and they're truly willing to truly begin serving you in your community. And so, Lord, help us to live in light of the things that are of eternal value. Things like the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the salvation of souls, the prayers of the saints. Lord, those are things that are worthy. Worthy endeavors, worthy of our time. And so, Father, may we be living lives Thank you.